You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. It is finished. To die. It means the payment is made. There's nothing left we need to do. Today, Christian, today, person who doesn't know Jesus, you're just searching. You're just here. You got guilted into being here. Whatever your reason, I want to tell you this morning. Let me speak to you this morning that Jesus can restore. He can renew. He can make things better than you could possibly imagine. Jesus doesn't want you to have a miserable marriage. He wants you to experience life. He wants you to experience joy. But you got to stretch out first. You got to get off your pride. You got to get off your arrogance. You got to get off your high horse and say, you know what? I'm going to stretch out first. And God comes in and says, this is easy. Let me do the rest of the work because Jesus came to save and to restore. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. I've had some uh, time off and a little vacation, a little R&R, so I'm ready to give you a two-hour sermon. Yeah. Oh, two people. Yeah, that. no, not really, not really. And it's uh, just good to be back. Got a lot of stuff to uh, talk about this morning. So you're going to want to take some notes. If you do not have a life journal, then on the way out, grab a life journal. You say, I don't have the $5 for the journal. Then you can use my discount so you get 10 cents off. That's my discount, all right? So $5.90 is uh, your discount. No, no, if you really need one, we will make sure you get one. Uh, We are looking at our concluding, our four-week series entitled The Vow. And we looked at the first vow, and that was the vow of pursuit. And we were in Luke chapter number 6, and we looked at building on a firm foundation. We said you have two choices. You can build on stone or you can build on sand, and you get to decide. And so we're making the decision that we want to build on stone. So when you make the priority that you're going to build your life on the rock, on God, then you have a strong foundation. What often happens is we build our lives on things that aren't strong. We build it. Ever heard this one? Oh, it was love at first sight. What happens if you build the relationship on sight? Guess what? That sight is going to change. Uh, I know for my brother for years, for years, this went on. He would wake up and his wife would get up before him. She would go into the restroom. She would do her makeup and then slip back in bed. And then she was like, ah, enough of that. I'm tired of doing that. And then one morning he just woke up, you know, because she had been doing it for a couple of years. And he was like, who took my wife? You know, like, where'd she go? You know, so uh, you don't want that problem. You don't want that problem. So don't, don't say, oh, uh, I got I, I'm pursuing this person based on their looks. Looks will change, you know. Uh, you say, well, she just has a great Instagram account, all right? There's filters, guys, filters, come on, all right? Even if she says filter-free, she's lying. So don't date her just for that reason alone, okay? You don't want to lie her, all right? So the priority, we said too often we build relationships on sand instead of stone, and we're, calling, we're, to, we're called to build on the rock. But even if you build your life on the rock, you're still going to have rocky moments. Every marriage will still have those moments that gets a little bit rocky. But we're saying we're going to focus on the foundation. Week number two was the vow of pursuit that we are going to pursue them. It's really easy to pursue a lot of things, but we're saying, no, we're going to pursue that one, and we're going to fight for us. We're going to focus on the other side. Then last week, our student pastor, Pastor John, brought a great message on purity. Purity is more than just moral. It's more than just spiritual, emotional. You see, secrecy kills 
intimacy. And sometimes a wedge can be in the relationship. Why? Because there's secrets and we're only as sick as our secrets. So what secrets are in the relationship? Relationships are built on the trust and trust is built on honesty and integrity. So you want to have this integrity. You want to have that honesty in the relationship. Well, this is the, this week we're going to look at vow number four, the vow of partnership. And we're looking at a verse, Genesis 2, verse 24. And I'll put the verse up on the screen. I love this verse. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is where we get the word partnership. They, they're united. They're united. And we get that, don't we? We get the word united. That's, that's a great word. We like the word united because we understand that. Because some of us, we're united to our Apple products. You say, what do you mean? We will Stand in line to buy them. We will spend a lot of money to have them. And then we will even sleep with them. We sleep with them. We always stare at them. And if we leave them in a restaurant, we start freaking out like, where's my phone? Panic attack, anxiety. Where's my phone? That's my life. Just imagine if we treated our wife like we treat our phone. Ooh, man, what if we stared at our wife as much as we stared at our phone? I better stop. I'm getting some elbow. I see them. Elbows are flying, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, uh, or the opposite could be true. Uh, I talk to a lot of guys that don't do social media, but their wives are addicted. I mean, they, they like, they're attracted to social media. And so they can just find their whole life wrapped up in their phone. And so we understand what it's like to be united in partnership with something. It doesn't have to be a phone. Some of us are united to our job. We spend a lot of time with our job. Some of us are united to our friends. We're united to our hobbies. There's all kinds of things. So we get the word united. This is not new. But what's interesting, the word united and the word untied are the exact same word. Just one letter is switched around. Just one letter, one letter. Anybody know what that letter is? Letter I. You just move it. And that's where we come into problems, don't we? In the relationships, you and I will have problems because we go from united to untied. We're supposed to be a partnership. You say, why? Because we move the I. We focus on I. Marriage is about we, not me. And it's real easy to become one, but it's hard to stay one, isn't it? It really is. It's hard to stay one. If you just buy a house and you're picking paint colors for the house, it's real hard to stay one. He's got an idea and she's got an idea, all right? Or if you're just looking for a car, he's got an idea, she's got an idea. You're looking for a restaurant, he's got an idea, and she's got an idea. And so it's real easy to become one. It's hard to stay one. So we're looking at this vow of partnership. Like, hey, I'm committed to this partnership. But this, is, this isn't new. <laughs> you know all this. You know what it means to be united. You know the untying. You get that. That's not new for you. And I, I wouldn't want you to come here just to hear that. You see, this is the problem that we have. The problem that we have is the fact that, guess what? We know there's a problem. We just don't know how to fix it. Because we've all gotten to that point in a marriage, in a relationship, where we're stepping back and we're saying, this isn't working. I celebrated my 10-year anniversary a week and a half ago, and there have been moments in those 10 years when I've looked at my wife, Jane, and we've looked at each other, and we're like, this, this isn't working. We can't keep yelling. We can't keep fighting. We can't keep sleeping in different rooms. We can't keep doing this kind of stuff. This isn't working. We've all been to those moments. 
where we're stepping back, we're saying, this isn't working, and we're wondering how to fix it. What do we do? See, that's the struggle, isn't it? You see, we're working on how do we fix it? So I want to go back to Luke 6. We start in this chapter, and we're going to continue in Luke 6. We started there in week number one, and we're kind of going through, and it's really great when you pick a chapter of God's word and just keep diving into it deeper and deeper. So now we're going to look at just the first few verses. And I want you to look at verse number one of this passage. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the uh, grain fields, <coughs> and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in his hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing that is what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, the Sabbath was not Sunday. Sometimes people think, well, that's just the Bible's way of saying Sunday. Sunday is a special day, and so that's uh, the Sabbath is Sunday. No, no, the Sabbath actually begins, I've been to Israel, and it begins on Friday at sundown, and it ends Saturday at sundown. It's a 24-hour period of time, and you weren't allowed to do a lot of work during that time, okay? There you were only allowed so many steps, and if you go to Israel, Jerusalem today, there are certain elevators. Our hotel had multiple floors, and on Shabbat, Sabbath, you would get into an elevator, and you don't have to push any buttons, on one elevator. You say, why? Because they don't want you to do any work on the Sabbath. So they have elevators that stop at every single floor. It's kind of like Buddy the Elf just went and just lit up everything, okay? If you get stuck in that elevator, I hope you have a good extra hour to spend there because you're going to go to each and every floor because they are strictly adhering to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do anything with technology. You're not supposed to work. And so the Sabbath was a day of rest. You see, it's a picture that God worked for six days creating the earth, and then he rested, okay? It's a day of rest, and so they would observe this, and the the religious leaders, they they were making sure everybody held to the Sabbath, and they saw Jesus' disciples, and they would take some grain, and they would rub the husk off, and they would eat the little kernels, and this offended them. So notice what Jesus does. Jesus says in verse 3, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then said Jesus to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Jesus brought that up because on the Sabbath... If you dislocated your ankle or your shoulder and you happened to do it on the Sabbath, you were not allowed to reset the dislocated shoulder or ankle on the Sabbath. You had to wait till Sabbath was over. Aren't you glad we don't live under that law anymore? And so that's what would happen. But yet Jesus is pointing out, hey, now your law says if you've dislocated your shoulder or your foot, you can reset it if you're about to die. Like, if you're about to die, then guess what? We can reset the bone. We can do that. So those are, how nice of them to put that in there. So Jesus is like, hey, you're all right with saving a life, but you're not okay with this. So he looked around at them all and then said to them, and then he looked at the man and he said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so. And his hand was completely restored. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here's what's amazing. You have a group of people, Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. They no longer cared for people that were hungry and people that were hurting. They didn't care anymore. They were just like, whatever, you're hungry, you can wait 24 hours. Oh, you're hurting, you can wait. And so here you have a man who's in the temple, and this man has got a hand that's not working. The Bible says it's his right hand. His right hand doesn't work. Now, here's what's crazy. He's in the temple. The law in that day and age said if you had any deformity, if you had any dysfunction about your body, guess what? You weren't even allowed in the temple. You say, well, what was he doing in the temple? You know what that meant he was doing? He was taking his right hand, and he would have to hide it. And that reminds me of us, because sometimes in our marriage, it's not working, and we hide it. We take what isn't working, and we come to church and put it away. We don't want anybody to know that this isn't working, so I'm going to hide it. The right hand is the hand of blessing. It's the hand of power. It's the hand that you would extend to somebody. It's very offensive in Middle Eastern culture to ever extend your left hand. Don't ever extend your left hand in Middle Eastern culture. You'll offend them. You use the right hand. That's the hand of blessing. That's the hand that you you make covenant or promises with. And so it's the hand of power. And so that right hand, he had to hide. And you and I, we do the same thing. We're saying, hey, my marriage isn't working. My life's not working. So we tend to hide those parts. We tend to cover those things up. Why are you having to cover those up? It seems that there should be one place where we could be open and honest, and that's at church. But yet we, on the way to church, can be screaming and mad and angry. And yet as soon as we open the van door, the station's already changed to K-Love or Air One, and we're blasting that, you know. We know you're listening to Beastie Boys on the way here, but as soon as you get in the church parking lot, K-Love, boom. He's a good, good father. Yes. I wasn't worshiping the Beastie Boys or anything like that. Yeah, right. Highway to hell. I mean, we know what you were listening to. But as soon as you get to church, you, you hide it. But we're only as sick as our secrets. Oh, we go around town and we go to work and we post on social media that our marriage is great. Even though we already begun the paperwork to work on the divorce. We already had the annulment finalized. We already are in the process of separating. We're already moving to different rooms. We've already told the kids that mommy and daddy have done everything we can to make it work. We're moving on. This isn't working. And so this is where this man finds himself in a situation where this isn't working. And you may find yourself here this morning. You may not be married. You may be uh, in, a, in a, a fractured relationship. You may be single. You may be super single. We don't know. And so yet you're trying to say cover it up. And so you're taking that hand. And you're hiding it. But yet that's the problem, isn't it? It's the problem that you feel this pressure to hide these things. So this man is hiding, which reveals to me that the system has failed. The religious system in that day has failed this man. It's failed the hungry and it's failed the hurting. You know what's so amazing to me? There are so many people that they will never go into a church. You know why? Because the church has been guilty of judging somebody or making somebody feel less than they should, or making them feel like they've got to hide something. You know, that's one of the reasons why we started Southridge, a church where we believe that we are here to lead people to find and follow Jesus. So we may sing some songs, we may do some things, we may dress in a certain way, act a certain way. Why? Because guess what? We're not going to put any what I call barriers to grace. 
We're not going to make it difficult for somebody to find Jesus. We're trying to make it as easy as possible. That's why in the first service today, we had three people give their life to Jesus because guess what? We made it easy to come to Jesus. Jesus isn't trying to make it hard to come to him. Here, this guy's got to sneak into church and he's got to hide what's wrong with him. You see, when you come to Southridge, you don't got to hide that you've got issues. You don't got to hide that you have problems. Guess what? We all do. And here's what's amazing. Jesus knows that we do. But until we bring these things into light, guess what? They'll never be healed. You see, too often we leave things in the dark. And what stays in the dark, that's where things grow. And we bring it into the light. And that's where those things, those bad things die or they find healing. But all this is because of a system that's failed this man. You see, these Pharisees, they were following a law. Did you know it started with the Ten Commandments? Ten. There were ten. That's what Moses, God gave to Moses. Exodus 20 and 21, Ten Commandments. But by this time, you know how many commandments they had? Over 600. 600 commandments at this point. You know, these guys were supposed to be protecting people's relationship with God. Instead, they've perverted it. They've changed it. They've controlled it. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, you can come to Jesus, but you got to do A, B, and C. The Bible says for us, whosoever will may come. There's no roadblock. There's no barrier. If you want to, then you could come to Jesus. It doesn't matter your past, your background. You can just come to Jesus. But then I thought about it for a moment. Wait a minute. I can't be too hard on these Pharisees because you and I, we've heard people say harsh things like they've said. I mean, they totally, Jesus even asked them, hey, is it right to save a life? And they didn't even answer Jesus. They didn't even say, yes, it's okay to save a life. Jesus looked at them in the eye and said, is it okay for a person to save a life? And they wouldn't even answer him. This reveals a hard heart. These guys are callous. These guys, really, they're hurting. And everything they've said is really their pain talking. You ever heard somebody say something like this? Maybe it's a woman. She says, you know what? All men are jerks. They're all dirtbags. I hate them. I'm never going to date them again. They're just filthy. They're just terrible. I can't believe you're in a relationship with one. You don't have to raise your hand. You might be that person. But um, uh, we've all heard that person. Or it could be a guy. I'm an equal offender. And there could be a guy that, oh, I don't trust women. They're controlling. They're manipulative. They're maniacal. And they'll just take everything from you. And it's just terrible. And then whenever you go out to eat, they always say, oh, I don't want anything. I'll just share with yours. And then they eat all of yours. And you're like, you lied. I would have gotten you anything you wanted off the menu. But you ate all of mine. If you wanted fries, I would have bought you your own fries. But don't eat all my fries. Ladies, just mark it down. Those are our fries. We don't want to share. Leave our fries alone. And any fries that fall in the bottom of the bag, those are still ours. That's the rule. Follow the rules, okay? And you'll have a happy, long life, says the book of First Micaiah. So, you know, there are these unwritten rules, but yet what happens in the relationship, we miss them. Why? Because the system, and this guy's in a system, and what happens is they're actually speaking out of their pain. Why? Because the abused will become the abuser. If you grew up in a home where mom and dad yelled at each other, fought each other, hurt each other, tore apart each other, guess what you're going to do? You're going to do the same. And so we need to have compassion on one another. If you were in a home where somebody was more controlling, another parent was more passive, guess what? You're going to have that. You see, these Pharisees are speaking out of their pain. They've been hurt by the laws that they didn't even create. 
And so now what's happening is they're being bound by it and now they're hurting others. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. So when you hear somebody that's saying these terrible things about, uh, about men or about women, guess what? It's because they've been hurt by a man or they've been hurt by a woman. That's why they're saying these things. It's their pain talking. So you need to know who's talking. So the next time you're having a passionate discussion with your wife, listen to who's actually talking. Because she's not saying that. What has been done to her is saying that. Because everybody around her abused her. And so guess what? She just kind of assumes that you're going to do the same. He just assumes every woman he's ever been with has manipulated him, so he just kind of assumes you're going to do the same. Why? Because it's a flawed system. The system is flawed. The system is broken, and it gets passed down, and it gets handed down. And these Pharisees, they're just keeping it going, just keeping it going. And it's their pain talking. And yet here it's easy when it comes to relationships for you and I to get cynical. It's real easy. I'll never find love. Oh, I'll never find the one. I'll never find the person that will complete me. I'll just never. And so they just get cynical. Can I tell you something about cynical people? I just got back from uh, Hawaii, and it was awesome to spend nine days away from my kids. I love my kids. I really do. But guess what? I love them more that I've been away from them. I truly do. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And guess what, parents? My kids love me a little bit more, too. They were so happy when I came back. I had not seen them like that. They were so obedient for, like, at least a good solid two hours. I mean, it was two hours of, like, parenting bliss. I should have wrote a parenting book in that two hours, like how to have the best children in the world. You know? I mean, I just should have. It only lasted two hours but I'll take two hours. And so, you know, we got back and we were in Kona. Now, Kona, we had to make it right. Ten years ago, Jane and I went to Kona and it didn't go well. We didn't want to go to Kona. Don't go to Kona, okay? I could preach a message on don't go to Kona, all right? It's, a, it's just a lava, volcanic uh, rock and everything. But we were there and uh, just, a, like I said, our first honeymoon ten years ago, we ended up there. And my wife got an allergic reaction, not to me, but to the sand. I was like, you grew up on an island and you're allergic to sand. How terrible is that? Like, that's just irony, right? And so she was on heavy Benadryl, just like chugging it, all right? And just heavy Benadryl. So she was just knocked out the whole time. So we were going back to see all that stuff, and then we were going to get out of there as quick as possible. But there's two types of people on Kona. There's a bunch of retired people, okay? But there's two types of retired people. There's the really nice and happy retired people, and there's the really angry, bitter people that will run you over with their moped. I mean, don't mess with them, all right? They're all in little mopeds over there, and they will kill you on their moped. You say, why? Because Age, you just get more of what you are with age. So if you're a happy, pleasant people person that sees the world with positivity, guess what? You just become more of that. You see, cynical people aren't made cynical by their situations. You're cynical because you're choosing to be cynical. These Pharisees are choosing to have a hard heart here. They're choosing to have a hard heart. You and I could just say, well, all men are like this. All women are like this. Guess what? They, you may have been handed a flawed system, but guess what? That is called prejudice. Let's just stop there for a second. Break down the word. The word prejudice means to prejudge. You and I don't ever like to be prejudged, but yet we do it to our spouse all the time. We prejudge them. We prejudge why they made the meal that your mom always made that you hate. You know, you're like, oh, she's trying to kill me. She hates me. No, we're, we're, we're prejudiced towards this. And so here what's happening is these, these Pharisees are living this out, and you and I, we could turn cynical. But instead, we need to step back and say, no, no, that's not what God is trying to do. And Jesus even said, hey, guess what? You're, you're messing up what the Sabbath is all about. And you and I, we don't fully understand the Sabbath because we don't honor that here. But Jesus said, 
The Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's a hard statement, isn't it? It's kind of confusing, but let me break it down for you. What he was saying is, guess what? God made stuff for man, not man for stuff. God made a job to support the home, not for the home to support the job. And it's real easy to get the priorities flipped, isn't it? Especially in the Silicon Valley where it's saying, hey, we want 70 hours out of your week. And then if you've got 160 hours and you've already got 70 of them are gone and you're going to sleep five hours a night. And so I don't know how much math I got left. You only have a few hours left in your week. <laughs> Homeschooled, y'all. All right. Stay in school, kids. Don't do drugs. All right. And uh, all right. My parents, they, I was hooked on drugs from an early age. They drug me to church Sunday morning. They drug me to church Sunday. Ah, 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 bad preacher joke, sorry. I've been gone for two weeks, okay? Two weeks, all right? Humor me just a bit. You see, what happens is we can get stuck into thinking that, wait a minute, this is how it needs to be. You know, uh, God wants to set us free from that. God wants to set you free from this system that's flawed. Because these people, these religious leaders, at some time in their life, they, were, they believed in what they were doing. They were excited about helping people. But it's real easy to get jaded. And all of a sudden, they just kind of got stuck. And many of you might be looking at your marriage and just saying, you know what, I'm just stuck here. It's not moving. It's not going where I want it to go. It's not doing what I want it to do. And so you just feel stuck in place. Adam, can I borrow you for a second? Can you hop up on the stage just for a second? You see, life is lived in one direction, okay? There's only one direction of life. You can't time travel, can you? Can you? Okay, good. If you did, I was like, security, crazy person. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, no, we don't have that. So here's the thing. Adam can't do anything about his past. He can only do something about his future. Now, here's what we're hoping for Adam, that he'll live a long, 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 long life, right? That's what we're hoping. And his family's all clapping. That's good that your wife is clapping, okay? Otherwise, I'd be nervous. But she was saying a long, long life. That's, that's really good. Happy marriage, and he'll be back next week, okay? So now, here, here's what happens. See, Imagine Adam walking through life. You don't mind just walking me. And he's going along life. He's enjoying his movement. But all of a sudden, he picks a moment and things just stop. Here's what happens. I've met people, you've met people that were going through life, and they, now time doesn't stop. He's still aging. Like, right now, you and I are dying. God bless you. Have a good Sunday. Uh, you know, don't you feel great? You know, yes. But here's what happens, Okay. We pick a moment, we just kind of stop. So you and I have met people that, guess what, they emotionally and spiritually stop growing. They just get stuck. And it usually happens because they're cynical or jaded or pessimistic. And they say, they guise it as, I'm a realist. No, it's your pain talking. You've lost your joy. You've lost your hope. You've lost a vision for the future. But here's the thing. You maybe say, hey, you're that type of person that you just stop. You just stop growing emotionally or spiritually. That could be you. Or it could be this, where there have been people where... You know, they didn't want the relationship to split, but they split. They didn't want things to happen, but they happened. And all of a sudden, God hit the brakes or life hit the brakes, and they're just stuck. And now they're crying out saying, God, this isn't working anymore. And you feel like nothing's happening. Like you're just stuck right here. You don't want to be stuck, but you just feel stuck. And you're like, God, what are you doing? And even though it feels like we're not moving, did you know that the earth is orbiting around the sun at 1,000 miles per hour? You didn't think you were going that fast, but guess what? You are fast. 
1,000 miles per hour. But not only is the earth orbiting around the sun, our solar system is moving in the Milky Way at 448 miles per hour. You are hauling. You are moving. At that speed, you would be from L.A. to Washington, D.C. in three minutes. <laughs> Don't you wish you could do that? Just boom, you're in L.A. or Washington, D.C. Three minutes, that'd be awesome. And not only is our solar system moving, but our Milky Way galaxy is moving at 70 miles per second. You are moving. You say, what's my point? You and I don't see what God sees. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like this isn't working. But God said, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. I am higher. I am above. So what you cannot see, God is working. God is moving this morning, church. God is moving in your life. He's moving around your circumstances. And we don't have to be God's frozen chosen. We can say amen this morning. We can say that's good. We can lift our hands or clap for a second, okay, and just remember that God is moving. You see, God is working. You may feel stuck, but you're not stuck. God is working on some situations in your life. Thank you so much, Adam. God bless you. Thank you. But what happens is some of us need to stop stopping. If God isn't stopping you, don't you stop you. Some of us are quitting, and we need to quit quitting. We need to stop giving up on things. We need to stop walking away from things. But then we meet this guy. And the struggle for him is real. His hand is not whole. And he's saying, this is a problem. But I love what verse 6 says. It says, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Now, here's what's amazing. It says, there's a man with a shriveled right hand, not the shriveled right-handed man. You see, what's my point? Some of us are defined by our dysfunction. Some of us let what happened to us define us, and it's not that big. You may have had a bad past. You may have had things happen to you that you didn't like, but don't let those things define you. Don't let those things describe you. Don't let those things allow you to get stuck in a way of thinking, in a way of doing things. But you're like, hey, I know that. I got a problem. I get it. I, I know I have a problem. She reminds me every moment of every day I've got a problem, okay? I get it. I just don't know why. I need to know the why. And Jesus in this passage answers the why. Dana and I, we were, we were back at Kona. We were at uh, Volcano National Park, and we were there. And uh, we walk in, and we're going to the park, and it was great. And we're looking at this huge volcano, and it was exciting. It's kind of cool to see an active volcano. And then my wife, Jane, looks over at me, and she asks me a question. She's like, hey, am I like a volcano emotionally? And I was like, hmm, I better just jump. Just end it. <laughs> There's no way to win of that question. Just don't say anything. Just, just jump. Because if I answer, she's going to throw me in. So at least it's my own decision. At least I own the last decision I make was mine, okay? Women, you do that to us, and we just don't know what to do. So we just jump. You're like, he was crazy. Yeah, you made us. Never mind. That's a different message. Um, <clears throat> better stop it there. Might lose the church. Uh, so, but we were there, and then I didn't answer the question because I deflected it because I caught something out of the corner of my eye. And I saw this couple that was together except they weren't really together, okay? So let me reenact what I saw. Out of the corner of my eye, my wife just asked me the question. I was like, hey, babe, check out that couple. And here's what it was. You could tell they were either newlyweds or on a vacation, young couple. And uh, she's walking like this, 
very determined, very deliberate. And everybody else is stopping, taking pictures. Everybody else is smiling. You're in Hawaii, you know? And she's walking, not happy. And then the guy that was with her, maybe her husband, maybe just somebody that was with her, he's just like this, just like this, walking behind, but slower, slower, like he knew he was in trouble. And I was like, babe, that was us 10 years ago. Look at it. Oh, so precious, you know? And, uh, but this is how you know there was a problem because she gets over to where the, the, the lava is and all that cool sight, and they haven't been talking. They've both been having like game face, mad, but then she grabs him, pulls him in. They put up the camera and they both had the best smile for like 20 seconds, and then they go back to being mad at each other. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It was hilarious. Just awesome, because I was like, that is relationships. That's so how it is. As long as we have a nice picture to prove that, guess what, we have a great relationship. It doesn't matter that we're hiding our problem. It doesn't matter. As long as we have it on Instagram, that's all that's, that matters. I think Instagram is our, um, is our coping mechanism. It's our uh, way of self-medicating for some. Because you want to live in a fantasy of what the relationship should be or might be. You're not living in the reality of what it is, not dealing with what it is. You'd rather create an imaginary world instead of just pull this out and bring it to Jesus and say, hey, guess what? Our relationship's not where it should be. You see, I could look at that couple and I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know why it was wrong. I didn't know that. You see, this man, he's got a problem. But here's what's so great. Jesus knows why there's a problem. Because he's been sucked into a religious system that says, hide things. Don't deal with it. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, life may have dealt you a bad hand, but don't hide it. You say, you don't understand, Pastor, who I married. Step back. Rewind. You married them. Nobody here had a gun to your head and said, you better say I do. And if you did, you should have just left or just, just done something else. But you made the decision. And I think you were saying it in your right mind. I don't think you did it. You were crazy under the influence or anything. You made the decision. You see, destination, that's up to God. Where you and I end up, that's up to God. Decisions are ours. Decisions are ours. You made the decision. But here's what's so great. Jesus can step in. And Jesus does step in, but you say, I don't, I don't get it. Notice verse 10. Here's what's so powerful. The Bible says, he looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Here's what's so crazy. Jesus knows that the Pharisees are watching. Jesus knows that the Pharisees have a prejudice. Jesus knows that the Pharisees will be upset if he heals them. So you would think Jesus would be a little bit smoother about this. And Jesus would say to Peter, hey, Peter, tell our homeboy to meet us outside and we'll do this out of eyes. So nobody sees it. We'll, we'll deal with this thing. But Jesus is kind of savage here. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to make a point and I'm going to do something in front of everybody. So he told the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand and Jesus healed him. Here's my issue. The Bible says he has a shriveled hand, which means the ligaments and the muscles are, are, are so that he could not move his hand. So think about this for a moment. God asked him to do what he should not have been able to do. Hold on, hold on, we're not getting it. The man stretched out his hand, then he was healed. 
Let me say it like this. Many of us are angry and disappointed in our marriages because she ticked us off and we're waiting for her to apologize. He ticked us off and we're waiting for him to apologize. But Jesus is saying, man, stretch out your hand first, then I'll heal you. Your marriage, your relationship will not change until you stretch out first. You need to go first. I'm glad one person wants to save their marriage and one person believes it, that you need to go first. Because we live in a culture and a generation that says it's all about me. It's all about the I. I don't care if I untie this. I don't care if I blow this up. I don't care if I make a scene. I don't care if you're walking in paradise by yourself in front of me. I do not care because I've got my pride and it's all about me and it's all about the I. And instead of saying I will go first and I will stretch out, I injured myself a few months ago. Why? Because I didn't stretch before I lived lifted some weights and that's not the type of stretching we're talking about but guess what if you don't stretch you will injure the relationship you will so you've got to make the decision say hey I'm going to stretch out even if that person doesn't so I will give forgiveness even if that person doesn't ask for an apology and that's not an admission of being wrong by the way some of you feel like to say that you offer forgiveness or that you're sorry means an admission of your guilt no it's the right thing to do are you not worried about saving the relationship or not So stop with your ego and saying, well, if she'll come back to me or if he'll do this. No, no, no. Don't wait on him to do jack. You do what God tells you to do. Don't wait on her to do jack. You do what God told you to do. You love them. You care for them because God even said, hey, here's the whole commandments. I've taken a new commandment I give you to love the Lord your God. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. God said, hey, love him, then love others. And your wife, your husband is included in the others. So you need to love them regardless of what you think they're doing, regardless if you think that they deserve it or not. You need to say, I love them. Let me go back to the volcano for a second because my wife taught me something so powerful. She said, look at that couple. She said, you know what? Women are actually easier than, than to figure out than you give us credit for. I said, not on your life. She said, you see what she needs right now? I'll tell you exactly what she needs. She needs a hug from her man. She was like, for whatever reason, she's feeling insecure She's feeling like she doesn't matter over whatever reason. And what she needs more than anything right now is a hug. She needs that embrace. She needs for him to love her even though she's not acting in a very loving manner. A few days later after that, Jane and I had a situation where I was walking behind her and we were posing for Instagram and it was not loving. And then I remembered what she said. And even though I didn't feel like it, I'm gonna stretch first. I'm gonna go first and I'm gonna trust in my God that he is big enough to restore what was shriveled. The bad hand that I have to believe that he could restore it. Do you believe that? Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to take that part of your life that you feel like this is dead, this is dysfunctional, this is over, it's in the grave, it's done, I'm not gonna go back to it. And God says, just stretch first. Here's what you do not realize. God is not subject to your struggle. Your struggle is subject to your God. 
And we need to get back to that. Where we understand that this is beneath our feet, not above our head. Where we understand that, wait a minute, Jesus went first. Jesus gave. But that isn't the best part. Verse number 11 says this, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here they're still upset. Jesus healed this man, changed this man's life forever. He stretched his hand, his hand is now healed. The hand that couldn't bless now received a blessing and could now bless others. And they were so upset with Jesus. Remember what they said? They said, hey, you guys are harvesting on the Sabbath. And now they come back to Jesus, and then they're saying, Jesus, you healed that man. You are working on the Sabbath. But here's what's so awesome about Jesus. Jesus looked at the Pharisee and was like, oh, that? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That isn't work. That's not work. That's not work. It wasn't working for them, but that's not work for me. I am God. I am Jesus. I am all powerful. I'm omnipotent. I am alpha. I am omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. This is not too hard for me. Nothing is too hard for your God. And so Jesus says to you this morning, stretch out first. I'll heal it. This isn't work for him. It's not work for him to save your marriage. It's not work for him to give you a spouse. It's not work for him to restore your relationships. It's not work for Jesus to heal your heart. It's not work for Jesus to mend the broken. It's not work for your God. Nothing is too hard for him. Think about all the times that Jesus in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John went over where a man was dead, raised him to life, where the blind were, couldn't see and gave them sight, where somebody was deaf and gave them hearing, where somebody was poor and he helped them. Not one time do you read after he did those miracles that Jesus did this. Oh, wow. That really took it out of me. Anybody got like a post-workout drink? I need a granola bar. I need some Gatorade, like, whoo, disciples. I need some fanning. No, it's not work. It's not working for you, but it's not work for him. You want to know what work was? That was work for you. That's what Jesus did. He said, that's the work. But then what did he say after he did that work? It is finished. To telestai. It means the payment is made. There's nothing left we need to do. Today, Christian, today, person who doesn't know Jesus, you're just searching. You're just here. You got guilted into being here. Whatever your reason, I want to tell you this morning. Let me speak to you this morning that Jesus can restore. He can renew. He can make things better than you could possibly imagine. Jesus doesn't want you to have a miserable marriage. He wants you to experience life. He wants you to experience joy. But you got to stretch out first. You got to get off your pride. You got to get off your arrogance. You got to get off your high horse and say, you know what? I'm going to stretch out first. And God comes in and says, this is easy. Let me do the rest of the work because Jesus came to save and to restore. The Bible says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus said, this isn't work. This is a word. And this is the word for you and I. The word that you and I needed this morning is that Jesus saves not only marriages, but he saves souls. And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, today's the day, my friend. This morning, there were three people. One, I've been praying for for over three years, ever since I met the man. I've been praying for him to get saved. And this morning, he gave his life to Jesus in the first service. Come on. 
That's why we exist. Leading people to find and follow Jesus. But today could be your day. It was his moment in the first service. Today could be your moment in the second service. So right now, today, if God is speaking to your heart, if he's giving you a word where he's saying, hey, you need to receive me. You've been running from me, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you want to save not only your marriage, but you want to save your soul. Today is that day. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.